It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. 15 million patriots. It's a great honor to have with us President Donald Trump. President Trump, how are you, sir? Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great, President Trump. Good. Uh, I imagine you saw most of this press conference. And, well, uh, I did. And Joe Biden said he's had a enormous progress during his presidency. I don't see it that yeah. way. Do you? Well, progress in destroying our country, yes. I think that's been tremendous. Uh, he also said something that I assume was a mistake, but he said he expects Putin to go in. He said, uh, yeah. I expect him to go in to go into Ukraine, and I thought that was a very unusual answer. I don't know if he knew what he was saying, because he said that as part of another question, and he was a little confused because he tried to correct something. But uh, that, that was a strange answer. No, I've watched him. I mean, it's not a, hey, I'd like him to do well. You want to know the truth figure about politics? I'd love him to do well. I'd love him to be representing our country. I think it's the lowest our country's ever been. I believe that what happened in Afghanistan, the way we got out, I got it down to 2,000 soldiers. I was the one that did that. That was the heavy lift. But the way we were going to get out with dignity and strength and keep Bagram and uh, because of China, because it's one hour from the nuclear weapons plant. But the way we got out was, I think, the lowest point in the history of our country. And you look with the seven, with the eighty-five billion dollars worth of equipment. Eighty-five billion. Nobody even knows knows what that means, Mark. That means seven hundred thousand machine guns, guns. It means seventy thousand trucks. Seventy thousand. There's no company in the country that has seventy thousand cars, trucks. It's and these are seriously expensive things. The whole thing was just so. Horrible. But you look at the border with millions of people coming in. You look at inflation. You look at no more energy independence. No, it's uh, we have a much different country than we had a year ago. President Trump, you said something at the beginning that caught my attention, too, and concerns me a lot. A commander in chief saying that he expects Russia to invade Ukraine. Now, don't you think yeah. Vladimir Putin heard that, too? Well, yeah, and, and it was like... The problem is, it was like nothing's going to be done. You know, in other words, say, yeah, I expect him. Now, maybe it was a mistake because it was said in the middle of another sentence and another thought. But he said, use the words, expects that he's going in. And I thought that was strange. Mm-hmm. Whether you don't want it to happen, or did, you know, I just thought it was a very strange thought to be putting out there that he expects him to go in. And nobody seems to pick it up because the reporters are the most friendly group of reporters I've ever seen. They don't even ask questions. They make positive statements and then mm-hmm. sit down. And I haven't seen one hostile question. I haven't watched all of it. But not even hostile, just one fair question. And it's an interesting thing. It's a phenomenon because I've never seen this happen except with him. But he'll look down, he'll get a name, and then he'll read off the name, and that's the reporter he's got then that reporter, he or she, will ask a question. Then he'll look down again and read from his notes and give the answer. I never had that lovely option. I wish I had the (laughs) option. I don't want that option, to be honest with you, and I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it. But uh, it's, it's a very weird thing. I assume you noticed that also, Mark. 
I noticed that. I noticed a lot of things. I noticed uh, things that are affecting the American people directly. Um, yeah. He thinks things are going pretty swimmingly. They didn't talk about crime. They didn't talk about right. what's going on in the classrooms. They didn't talk about right. what's happening at the border. Um, yeah. And he was there for almost two hours, and none of that came up. Don't you find that remarkable? Well, crime is so bad. It's so out of control. When you look at these kids being shoved off subway stations in New York, off platforms, right into a train, coming in full speed, and a young woman's thrown right into the train, right into the face of the train, killed instantly. And then you look at what happened with the young lady selling in a furniture store, selling furniture, and somebody walks in and knifes her to death. And nothing happens to these people. Nothing happens. The crime is so out of control. And it's it's not even believable, frankly, what's going on. Democrat-run cities. Democrat-run cities. Terrible. You know, President Trump, uh, uh, Biden said repeatedly, he said, what do the Republicans stand for? Did he miss your four years? I mean, I think during your four years, you made yeah. it abundantly clear what you stood for. Did you not? <laughs> Well, I think so. Energy independent, the strongest border we've ever had. And that includes drugs, not just people and human traffickers. And it includes we had the we, we cut down drugs at a level that nobody thought was possible. And uh, now they're going to be now they're I hear 12 times higher than they've ever been. Twelve times, Mark. And if you look at if you look at the drugs that are coming in now, nobody thought it was possible to do that. They're just running through with large trucks loaded up with drugs. Nobody's there to stop them. You know, the wall is, is built other than a few sections. Could have taken three weeks to finish it. And he doesn't want it to be finished. It's, uh, it's one of the reasons that we were so successful. You know, our numbers, especially in the last year, once we got real control of it, our numbers were fantastic, and our numbers on drugs were fantastic in stopping. And, uh, you know, you look at what's happening, rebuilding the military, opening Space Force, uh, Anwar, getting Anwar. Ronald Reagan couldn't get Anwar done, and we got it done. The largest drilling site in the world. They ended that. The Keystone Pipeline, great. I ended the Russian pipeline. You know, that was dead, and then he came in and let it happen. And by the way, Germany's going to pay a big price because Germany might as well wave the flag of surrender to Russia if something should ever happen, because they're going to be basing a lot of their energy on Russian energy coming in through the Nord Stream 2. Nobody ever heard of Nord Stream 2 until I got involved. And, you know, Putin wasn't happy about it. He said to me, you're killing me on the pipeline. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, that's the way it goes. But, you know. <laughs> We have we had a good relationship, but it's it was it was tough when they have a phony Russia narrative. You know, they had the Russia, Russia, oh, yeah. Russia hoax, and so that always makes it a little tougher. But we had we we could have done very well with Russia, frankly, but we did stop that. And uh, you wouldn't have had a Ukraine situation. You wouldn't have a Taiwan situation with China, and uh, Kim Jong Un is now. Well, and Iran, Iran would have been signed within the first week. A great deal would have been signed with Iran within the first week. And China wouldn't be buying their oil at levels that they've never bought before. You know, China is making them rich because they're buying. They would have never bought the oil with me. They never did. They would have never bought the oil with me. During your presidency, unemployment was low, inflation was low. 
you had mm-hmm. to battle this pandemic. You came up with vaccines, and uh, you came up with uh, use, the use of antibodies and so forth and right. so on. And, and I noticed, yeah, therapeutics. And I listened to Bob, and he talks about there's never been an effort like his effort to get people vaccinated. And, I, and I'm thinking yeah. to myself, President Trump, um, during your presidency, he did everything he could, I thought, to sabotage your effort, and he blamed you for every single death that occurred during this pandemic. And he doesn't get right. questioned about that. Not, not, even, not even a question so far that I've heard. And it's very interesting because, as you know, more people have died with all of the advantages he had because we had that really running good, but more people have died during this period of time than than the last, and and we didn't have the advantage of all of the things we have now, and it's largely because they don't trust him. You know, we didn't have a problem with the mandates are bad, but we didn't have a problem with mandates. People wanted to get the shot, and you know we got that out much sooner. We got it done in nine months versus five years, five to twelve years. They said it was going to take. I got it done. The FDA does not like me, I will tell you that. But we got it done very quickly and very effectively. And you look at what's what's happened with him. And, you know, a very bad thing he did was the pause with Johnson & Johnson. That was a very bad thing. It sent a very bad signal. But uh, we, we didn't have a problem where people didn't want to take the shots. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden it you know happened and happened. And I really believe it's because they don't trust him. You know, Joe Biden says he's not moved to the left. Peter Ducey said to him, why are you trying to take the country to the left? He says, I'm a moderate. I'm not a socialist. I'm not Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I think his actions defy that, don't they? Well, he says all that. He said that during the debates. He said that during his debates with other Democrats. And But it's not true. And, you know, what he said on, on energy, you look at what he said on energy. Look at what you, you take a look at religion. What's going on there? You what, what you know the stances that these Democrats, these radical left Democrats, are taking. Uh, no, he said all of these things that that were very moderate, and then he uh-huh. did things that nobody could believe. Bernie Sanders cannot believe what's happening. Uh-huh. He said, "I would have never gotten away with any of this stuff." It's uh, it's not. It's not really even believable, Mark, what's happening. I mean, he's, it, and I don't think it's him. It's a group of people, I guess. It's, you know, you know the names, perhaps. But it's a group of people that are crazy, radical left communists. Mm-hmm. And that's where the country is going. You know, I used to say we're going to be Venezuela on steroids, or we're going to be Venezuela large scale. And that's where we're heading as a country. That's exactly where we're heading. This January 6th committee, which is filled with uh, Nancy Pelosi flunkies, pretty much, and uh, never Trumpers, and we've never really seen anything like this out of the House of Representatives. I just want to ask you a question. You you leave the presidency. They they hounded you with impeachment. They hounded you with criminal investigation. They hounded you with the FBI, the intel agencies. The media endlessly hounded you, for which they handed themselves Pulitzer Prizes. It was all phony. Now we have this January 6th thing, which is almost like a third impeachment committee. They're subpoenaing everybody they possibly can. You have yeah. members of this committee going on TV talking about, well, we're looking for indictments and so forth, which is unconstitutional. Members of Congress are not criminal mm-hmm. investigators. Then you've got to deal with this attorney general in New Jersey and this Manhattan DA. And 
What is it about you? They scare, you're, you apparently scare the hell out of these people that they really want to put a stake through your heart. Well, there's never been anything like this. Uh, you look at, they've weaponized all of these law enforcement agencies. And we didn't, you know, and it's a bad thing to do. But we didn't. We didn't do anything with regard to his son. We didn't do, you know, they come after my kids who are great kids. And uh, just, it's it's a disgrace, but they've weaponized it. And the people that are doing it are people that campaigned. You look at the attorney general in New York. You t- just take a look at that. And these are people that, that this is a woman that went out and campaigned on getting Trump. She got into office by viciously campaigning about Trump. I used to hear about her. I'd say, who the hell is that? And it was horrible what she was saying. And then she gets in and... And even after she was in, she she thought it was so funny. She went on The View a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, very threatening, very horrible that you're allowed to do that. And you're not really allowed to do that. You're not really allowed to do that. There was a name, a man named Maurice Najari years ago. I don't know if you remember that name, Mark. No. I think you're not much too young to remember. But he was a prosecutor out of control. And it was a very bad thing for the state of New York and the country and all. And uh he ended up burning and crashing you know it was very interesting because she ran for governor she went after cuomo as you possibly have heard mm-hmm. and uh right after that she ended up running for governor she got no poll numbers it was a disaster uh, she was gone for six weeks and then she said she's going back to do big things I wonder what you meant by big things, right? Mm-hmm. But this shouldn't be taking place in our country. Never, Nothing like this has ever happened. We had the Russia, Russia, Russia. We had the impeachment hoax number one, number two. We had the Mueller no collusion report after two years, no collusion. But nothing like this has ever happened. You know, uh, I, as I was watching Biden, he seemed to be in his own world, President Trump, in this respect. Yeah. I mean, he thinks things are going very well. The country's more united, even though we have to do more. Um, is this, uh, I mean, this is a big problem when he's completely out of touch like this. I mean, the polls are awful for him, and he says, I don't believe the yeah. polls. He just dismisses them. What do you make of that? Well, that's the way they ran their campaign, too. And, you know, it wasn't going to be Biden. It was going to be Bernie or somebody. They were surprised it was Biden. But when it was, they, they got him around. He was the vessel. And they got him around, and they're putting in things that nobody ever dreamt possible. Our country is not the same. Our country right now, we have millions and millions of people living here. You'll be hearing from those people someday. But we have millions, and in, in a very bad way, we have millions of people in this country that should not be here, that came in illegally. Uh, you look at what happened with the plane lift. They talk about this wonderful plane lift. Three percent of the people were vetted. We have no idea who these people are. And many of the people are gone. They have no idea where they are. You'll be hearing about it. It'll be a sad day for New York and a sad day for this country. Uh, I mean, many people are missing. You know that. The, and the Afghans come in. Mm-hmm. You have terrorists come in that group. I don't, I don't fear saying that. You have terrorists coming in that group. They have no idea who they are. Coming, coming through the southern border... You don't just have the four countries. You have many. They they said last week 121 different countries, people coming in. We have no idea who they are. And they talk about masks and they talk about vaccines. They don't have masks or vaccines. 
but if you come in that way, you don't have to have, you know, everything is fine. No, it's very sad what's happening to our country. Very, It's at the lowest point it's ever been at. And as bad as the wall is, and, and you know, he could have finished the wall in three weeks, and as bad as the borders, all the different things that they've messed up, including our military with the woke generals. We have great generals. I know a lot of them. We, I knocked out ISIS, as you know, 100% of the caliphate. We have great generals, but not the guys on television. The guys on television are terrible generals. But as bad as it all is, the worst thing was what happened with the Afghan leaving. I think that was the lowest moment in the history of our country. It was, it was as though we uh, surrendered. And you had the 13 young soldiers killed, but you had many, many wounded, horribly wounded. And we left hostages behind. We moved the military out first. We didn't keep Bagram. And China's now taking Bagram, in my opinion. That's what's happening. And Bagram is, a, a, you know, billions of dollars it cost many years ago to build it. And it's right next to China. You had to keep it. And we would have left with dignity and with strength. But $85 billion, nobody even knows what that represents, Mark. They have no idea. When they hear $85 billion, you know, they say, oh, you mean $85 million. I say, no, that's a lot of money, too, $85 billion. And uh, I think it was the lowest point in the history of our country. President Trump, we don't have a ton of time left, and I want to thank you for the time that you're, uh, that you're here. I want to ask you a question about elections. Biden and the Democrats are saying if you don't vote, for and support our radical takeover and nationalization of the voting system, which would enshrine the Democrat Party in the majority for the foreseeable future and undermine the Constitution, every one of these Republican state legislatures, then the next election could be corrupt because the Republicans are trying to prevent minorities from voting. Now, when they speak like that, are they not trashing our voting system? Are they not undermining the, the belief in the voting system that they accuse you of doing? Yeah. Well, the election, the last election was a third world election. It was a horrible thing that took place. It was rigged. It was bad in so many ways, so horrible. And now they want to go a step further and they want to take it so that essentially a Republican could never be elected again if a thing like that passed. Uh, What they want to do, I mean, think of it, no voter ID. Uh, Many, many, they have aspects in this that nobody can even believe. But mail-in voting all over the place, which is a very, very weak form of voting. In fact, if you look at Jimmy Carter, I guess, and Baker had a commission, they said the one thing you don't want to do is vote by mail. And we got a a sample of that, Mark, just recently, and it was a terrible— it was a terrible thing that happened to our country. No, they don't stop. They want to try and get this. They want to federalize it. And uh, it shouldn't be allowed, but we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what happens. I'd like to see different leadership fighting it. You know, when Mitch McConnell gave them two months, that was a killer. That was a mm-hmm. killer. That was a absolute. That was a two months to get their act together. And they did. So we'll see what happens. And um, when do you think you'll decide or make public your decision to run or not? I'm not going to put you on the spot. You're not going to announce it. No, I appreciate that. Well, you know, the campaign finance laws sort of make you do it a certain way. But Mm -hmm. I think the people on your show, and and congratulations, because you have a tremendously big hit show. And I congratulate you. It's amazing what you've been able to do, both on television and on radio. And, uh, you know, it was so great. I went on your television show, and because of that, the book, 
the book that we came out with, which is beautiful pictures and everything, but it it was uh, it was just incredible how it sold. It's a great book. Our journey together, yeah, it sold. It sold very importantly, very big, with your television show. That I did a, I actually we did a double, right? We did a double take. That's right. And triple. it was great. And well, it got to be a triple because of yeah. breaking news one night, pretty big breaking news. Yeah. But uh, you know, your show's a great success, and I I think it's great. Oh, thank you. It, I think it's wonderful. We've and by sold, the way, uh, yeah, over two hundred thousand books already. Forty-five. Wow. It's called forty-fivebooks.com for yep. any of your people that want to buy it. But it's been a great success. Forty-fivebooks.com. Forty-fivebooks.com. It is a beautiful book, particularly yeah, well, because my wife and your wife are in there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and they both look great. They both look great. But we've had a lot of fun with it. It's been a, it's been a wonderful success. But I'm, I'm serious. When I did your show, it really had a. It had a tremendous impact. It's been a very big seller. Well, Mr. President, I want to thank you for coming on. It's been a year now. Thank you. Uh, And uh, a lot of people I know say, good Lord, where's Trump when we need him? This is just too much to take. And I think a lot of people think that way. Well, it's sad to watch. But uh, something will happen. But when you look at what's going on now, it's... We're at a level that we've never been at before, I think. It's a very sad thing. And I just want to thank you, Mark. All the best to you, Mr. President, and your family. And God bless you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Mark. See you soon. That was President Donald Trump. First reaction to the Biden press conference. You can see the difference, can't you? Absolutely. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. But the Daily Mail has a piece, and I don't know who has or hasn't talked about this, but I have not. Exclusive piece today that Nancy Pelosi's son, Paul Jr., was involved in five companies probed by the feds. A shocking paper trail connects him to a slew of fraudsters and convicted criminals. Now, this is shocking. First of all, it's shocking that the Daily Mail has to break a story like this. And it tells you how little the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, and the rest of the reprobates and the corrupt propaganda, so-called media, really leave the Democrats and their families utterly alone while they try and hunt down everything they can possibly find, or concoct for that matter, against Trump and other Republicans. 
Now, it goes on to say a shocking paper trail shows Nancy Pelosi's son, Paul Pelosi Jr.'s connections to a host of fraudsters, rule breakers, and convicted criminals. A DailyMail.com investigation can reveal that Paul, 52, was involved in five companies probed by federal agencies before, during, or after his time there. He joined the board of a biofuel company after it defrauded investors, according to an SEC ruling, and whose CEO was convicted after bribing Georgia officials. He was president of an environmental investment firm that turned out to be a front for two convicted fraudsters, documents reveal. He served as vice president of a company previously embroiled in an investigation of scam calls that targeted senior citizens. A medical company Pelosi Jr. worked for was accused of testing drugs on people without FDA authorization, DailyMail.com can reveal. And a source close to a firm Nancy's son worked for told DailyMail.com that Pelosi Jr. received $2.8 million of shares, allegedly issued as part of a massive $164 million fraud in July 2016. Besides that, he's a very good guy. Now, while Pelosi Jr.'s mother once pledged to lead the most honest, most open, most ethical Congress in history, they write, her son is a staggering wake of criminal colleagues, fraudulent companies, and federal investigators. The 52-year-old joined the board of biofuel company after it defrauded investors, according to an SEC ruling, and we went through this list with you already. Pelosi Jr. has never been accused or charged with crimes relating to these cases. Isn't it amazing? But sources close to the Democrat power broker's son and even Pelosi Jr. himself admit that some of his business dealings may have arisen from savvy entrepreneurs hiring him in an attempt to carry favor with his powerful family. No way. You mean like Hunter Biden? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is unlikely to be comfortable with a string of convicted criminals and subjects of federal probes. DailyMail.com is uncovered as her son's business partners. But despite all his associations with criminals and alleged fraudsters, the powerful politician's son has never been charged himself and has tried to cultivate a squeaky clean green image. Back in 2007, Pelosi Jr. was dubbed the rising prince of the Pelosi political dynasty in a men's Vogue profile. Oh, yes, that Vogue. Back in 2007, Pelosi Jr. was dubbed the rising prince. His mother... Nancy Pelosi, herself the child of a Maryland Democratic congressman and a Baltimore mayor, had just ascended to Speaker of the House of Representatives. His father was a successful investor, and his cousin, current California Governor Gavin Newsom, was the mayor of San Francisco. Now, wait a minute. Did you know Pelosi Jr. was cousins with the governor of California? I hadn't known that. But Pelosi Jr. told the magazine he lived a Spartan life, eating a six-egg omelet for breakfast, never turning on the heat or A.C. in his San Francisco apartment, taking care to not wash his clothes during peak energy consumption hours. Oh, isn't he, isn't he uh, special? And only using his old smart car, a hand-me-down from his parents, when the city's electric bus wasn't an option. Oh, this B.S., Though frugal, Pelosi Jr. certainly wasn't strapped for cash in February 07. He had just landed a $180,000 job as senior vice president 
at data company InfoUSA, despite already holding a full-time position as a home loan officer at Countrywide Home Loans in San Mateo and having no experience in database marketing. He's a chip off an old uh, hunter's block, isn't he? The company was run by major Democrat donor Vinod Gupta, who had been embroiled in a criminal investigation by the Iowa Attorney General's office since 2004. And investigators claim that between 01 and 04, InfoUSA knowingly sold House Speaker Nancy... Oh, knowingly sold, it cuts off. No, that's not right. Knowingly sold, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has made millions from her stock market investments, including from companies she helps regulate. This article is cut off. Now, her wealth grew by an estimated $16.7 million in 2020, trading over $50 million in assets and generating an annualized return of 69% that beat legendary investors like Warren Buffett and George Soros, according to congressional disclosures. Many of Nancy Pelosi's outsized gains came from bets on big tech stocks like Google, Amazon, and Apple, while D.C. insiders have accused the House Speaker of dragging her feet on reforms to reign in Silicon Valley. Her Wall Street players, her, excuse me, her Wall Street plays are handled by her big, dopey, dumb husband, my comment, Paul Pelosi Sr., who runs investment firm Financial Leasing Services. His well-timed bets included buying 4,000 shares of Google parent company Alphabet just before a House Judiciary Committee vote on antitrust regulations for Silicon Valley monopolies. The investment earned the Pelosi's $5.3 million. The couple's fortune is worth an estimated $100 million, making Nancy one of the richest members of Congress. Prominent fellow Democrats Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and Elizabeth Warren have called for members of Congress to be barred from investing on Wall Street. Nancy Pelosi told a reporter in December she believed she and her colleagues should be able to participate in trading because we're a free market economy and denied any conflict of interest. Now, reliance on tech stocks led the Pelosi's to underperform in 021, trailing the S&P 500 by 15.5%. But she gave it the good old try, you know. Let's see. There, let me keep moving. I can't read the whole thing. It's too long. In 2009, Pelosi Jr. was recruited to be president of an environmental investment company called Natural Blue Resources. The firm was ostensibly formed to find and use new underground aquifers in New Mexico. But an SEC investigation found the company was in fact secretly controlled by two convicted criminals who used Pelosi Jr. and others as a front to let them personally profit from the company without disclosing their past brushes with the law to investors. According to charges filed in 2014, Pelosi Jr. was recruited to create the firm along with former New Mexico Governor and Attorney General Tony Añas by the two consultants, so-called, James Cohen and Joseph Carazzi. Cohen had previously been jailed for financial fraud. Carazzi uh, had been charged with breaking federal securities laws and was permanently barred from acting as an officer of a public company. Let me ask you a question. You're Pelosi Jr. You're recruited by these guys. Don't you do a minimal amount of vetting, like Google the names of these guys, and then you can find out their criminal past? Right, Mr. Producer? How hard is that to do? Next thing you know, 
Pelosi Jr. is going to open an art gallery and be selling uh, Hunter's paintings. Though Anya was charged, Pelosi Jr. was not. Pelosi Jr. served as president and board member of Natural Blue from its public stock exchange listing in August 2009 for five months. Served on the board of another company run by Cohen's wife. But he didn't know anything about Cohen's past. Nothing. Those Pelosi's are dumb as doorknobs, aren't they? When approached by DailyMail.com, the SEC declined to comment on Pelosi Jr.'s involvement in the case. Maybe they'll leak his tax records over there at the IRS. But the SEC wrote in its conclusion to the case that Pelosi Jr. did not play a meaningful role in one of the key transactions for the Natural Blue scheme. He strenuously objected to proposed fundraising contracts, was ousted from the board by the accused fraudsters, ultimately appeared as a witness for the prosecution. He just has a bad habit of picking bad people and bad companies as it goes on. And so I will call, as I have now for several years, on the Pelosi's to release their tax returns. Nancy and Big Dummy Paul, as well as Little Dummy Paul Jr. They should be releasing their tax returns. And I would also argue there should be a special counsel to investigate the Pelosi's. A criminal investigation of the Pelosi's and all these schemes to determine whether or not, in fact, uh, they are clean. There was a lot less of a pretext to unleash a special counsel against President Trump. So little that there was nothing. Zero. Zero, except planted lies and stories by the Democrat Party and the American media. So will there be a special counsel? Let's see which Republicans call for a special counsel. I remember when Schumer demanded a special counsel to investigate Trump. And I suspect he knew all along that the DNC and Hillary Clinton were working with Perkins Coie and others to try and set up Trump. But it didn't matter. Let's see if his opposite, Mitch McConnell, will demand a special counsel to investigate Nancy Pelosi. Or is he, is he so eyeball high in communist Chinese deals or his, his family or the, the family married into that he doesn't want anybody talking about that? Except me, of course. Peter Schweizer. But I'm quite serious about this. Now, when the Republicans think they're going to take the House, if they take the House, will they open an investigation of Nancy Pelosi? Whether or not she's a member of Congress. Remember, they reached into Donald Trump's life after he left the White House. And for nothing. They lied. We have a right to know whether the third person in line to be president, whether the Speaker of the House in charge of all the legislation that flows through Congress, whether she's dirty as a skunk. We have a right to know. Of course, the American media don't care because she's our first woman speaker, don't you know? But she could be the Bonnie of the Bonnie and Clyde Pelosi family as far as we know. So we need to get to the bottom of this. And I would encourage the House and Senate Republicans to demand action. Hunter Biden on the prowl, on the loose. Paul Jr. now. What did Nancy know and when did she know? These are the questions that are constantly coming up with her. And again, why don't we have the tax returns from Nancy Pelosi and her big dummy husband? Why not? We need to know that the person in charge of orchestrating what legislation goes through Congress and what legislation passes Congress is dirty. 
and if she made some of her millions illegally. Now you watch how the media ignore this and cover this up. Over at the Constipated News Network, over at MSLSD, you watch how the New York slimes, they covered up Stalin's slaughter of the Ukrainians. They covered up the Holocaust for the most part. They promoted Castro. You watch how they cover up most of this. While Pulitzers were handed out to the reporters to try and destroy Donald Trump on a lie. You watch. Watch how the Washington Compost pretends nothing took place here. Doesn't want to look. We don't go after the children of the family. The children of these politicians unless they're called Trump. You watch. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. So lately, I've been on a mission to change the way people view their finances and to encourage people to overcome obstacles and adversity. It's just more and more important to me every day. So I've teamed up with the folks at Life Surge. Life Surge is a one-day faith-based event where you'll walk in hungry for success and you'll leave ready to build your resources to leave an impact on others. We're talking faith-fueled finance, growing resources, crushing obstacles, and then, yeah, using it all for something way bigger than yourself. I'll be joining Life Surge in Cincinnati on Saturday, August 3rd. Joining me in Cincinnati is Nick Vujicic, the man with no arms or legs that speaks about his trials and triumphs, soul surfer and author Bethany Hamilton, Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson, and author and pastor Craig Groeschel, star of CNBC's The Prophet, Marcus Lemonis, and Bethel Music. That's Life Surge, Cincinnati, on Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets are on sale exclusively at lifesurge.com. I hope to see you there. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Council on American-Islamic Relations. Many years ago, when I came on radio, this organization was threatening conservative talk show hosts with boycotts, complaining to their executives at the various stations about individuals who would criticize the organization. And they were painting such individuals as anti-Muslim, as bigots. And they were doing it on WMAL here, among other places. And I came on the air and I said, I'm not putting up with this. So many words that if there's an effort by this group or its surrogates to remove me from the radio, I will sue them. Not just for libel, but tortious interference with my contract and my business, and I will have access to all their materials. Because that's the nature of civil litigation. I will have access to all their top people, all their top donors, and I will find out what's going on with this organization. And so it began to stop. I've often talked about the history of this organization, at least in the past, that it was born in Philadelphia from individuals with links to Hamas and ultimately the mother Muslim Brotherhood in the 1990s. And it is an organization that has tremendous access to the highest levels of the Democrat Party during the Obama administration 
It visited the White House. Its, its uh, different representatives did, as did the Muslim Brotherhood on many occasions. CARES had an enormous influence on training and teaching at the FBI and the Department of Justice, among other places. CARE has been hosting events to free the convicted terrorist Afia Siddiqui. For example, on September 17, 2021, CARES Dallas Fort Worth chapter held a rally at the Federal Medical Center in Carswell in support of Afia Siddiqui. On November 10, 2021, CARE in Austin held a virtual event with Linda Sarsour. And on December 16, 2021, CARE Texas held another event at the East Plano Islamic Center including beyond this terrorist, but with anti-Semites. It's just a sample of events in Texas, CARE. You can Google them yourselves. But Texas CARE has been engaged in a nationwide campaign from Washington to Boston to New York with the El Baile law firm that is representing Afia Siddiqui, the convicted terrorist. Meanwhile, CARE's San Francisco executive director a few months ago, speaking at the American Muslims for Palestine, expressed her support for destroying Israel, called the ADL, Hillel, and other Jewish organizations enemies, and went after quote-unquote Zionist synagogues. CARE yesterday condemned what had taken place at the synagogue. Seems pretty hollow, doesn't it? has a long history of supporting anti-Semitism and quite frankly violent in my view violent organizations and causes CNN interviewed a member of the synagogue who was watching the Shabbat services on the live stream and said the hostage taker was expressing anti-Semitism toward Jews in Israel and said that he flew 5,000 miles to the U.S. to pick a synagogue because of its close proximity to DFW airport and yet the FBI refused to say it was not connected initially and motivated by Jew hatred, willful blindness, absolutely willful blindness, and it's going on and it's spreading. The Democrat Party, which is the party of 70% more of the Jewish people in this country, whose majority leader in the Senate is Jewish, among others, tolerates Talib, Omar, AOC, and others. The Marxists, who've always hated Jews, tolerates them, protects them, defends them. Pelosi hasn't removed any of them from any committees. And when there was an effort to condemn 
Omar for her blatantly anti-Semitic statements. When there was an effort to condemn her, they watered it down, they didn't mention her name, and they talked about all faiths and people should not have to face derogatory attacks. So they never did sanction her, call her out, anything of the kind. Talib has made many anti-Semitic statements. Parents are Palestinian. They immigrated to the United States. She was born here. And she was embraced openly, publicly on the tarmac some months ago by Joe Biden. By Joe Biden. So how did this would-be killer of Jews get a visa? And where are the media asking these questions? We've got the Daily Mail. Where's the Daily News? Washington Post, the New York Times, where are they? Where's CBS Nightly News or NBC Nightly News or ABC News or all the rest of them? Where are they? Open borders. Refusal to enforce the law. Incompetence. And quite frankly, embracing organizations like CARE leads to disastrous effects in this country. Disastrous. But I note here a headline at Breitbart, New York Times warns of right-wing threat to democracy, calls to war game insurgency, secession, and civil war. The U.S. may be on the verge of collapse due to right-wing threats on democracy, according to a recent New York Times piece they called to intensify war games, quote-unquote, for scenarios concerning the 2024 presidential election, such as, insurre- I'm quoting, insurrection, secession, insurgency, and civil war, unquote, in order to avert, quote, political decay of the country. The New York Times contributes to political decay of this country, and has for a very, very long time, and not just this country, other countries. A Thursday New York Times essay titled, We Need to Think the Unthinkable About Our Country, begins by deeming the U.S. perhaps even more alarmingly fractious and divided one year after the January 6th Capitol riot. Regrettably, the right has sustained its support for former President Donald Trump and continued its assault on American democratic norms. So here you have the New York Times planting the seeds of violence, basically telling radical left groups, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and other American Marxist groups, Prepare for violence. Now, when you prepare for violence, I guess you prepare to be violent, right? Preparing for war games and tabletop exercises and operations research. The essay was penned by Jonathan Stevenson, a former National Security Council staff from the Obama administration, and Stephen Simon, a former staff from the State Department of National Security, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, and Obama. In other words, a bureaucrat speculating that the next presidential election will almost inevitably be vicious, perhaps violently contested. They warn of a 
politically existential threat to the country due to right-wing preparations for a potential 2024 power grab. It's really quite remarkable, all the violence that's occurred in this country the last few years and how the media, the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, former officials in our government have dismissed it all. Now we have this event at this synagogue. And the goal here now is to dumb it down. Dumb it down. 40% of the hate crimes, according to the FBI, that are taking place in this country against Jews. Jews are a tiny percentage of the population. Well, who's committing these hate crimes? Evangelical Christians? No. Who's committing them? Will the New York Times do a story on that? Will the FBI tell us who's committing these hate crimes against Jews? Who are they? Who's committing the hate crimes in Brooklyn, New York? Who are they? Who committed the hate crimes in L.A. during the riots against the synagogues? Who are they? I'm just curious. Who are they? Nikki Freed is the agricultural commissioner in Florida. She's a radical leftist. And in a radio interview on Friday, she drew parallels between Ron DeSantis and Adolf Hitler. She's being interviewed on NPR's Florida Roundup, called DeSantis an authoritarian before advancing the the comparison between the Florida governor and the leader of the Nazi party. Writes, I believe, A.G. Gengarski. Instead of listening and trying to govern with the people, he's trying to govern over the people. And that, I'm sorry, I'm a student of history, too. I saw the rise of Hitler. I learned those stories, Freed said. When asked if she was comparing DeSantis to Hitler, Freed stood her ground. In a lot of ways, yes, she told interviewer Melissa Ross. I've studied Hitler and how he got to power, wanting his own militia, having his own army. They use this name Hitler all the time. To describe Trump, DeSantis, you, me, white supremacists, neo-Nazis. Not just against white supremacists and neo-Nazis, but against everybody. This vile, provocative propaganda can also be found in the media and in the Democrat Party. If you don't support the effort to forever empower the Democrat Party with one-party rule, as they have in California, then you support voter suppression, uh, suppression and election subversion. That was Biden today. Harris today. Our freedom to vote is under assault. If you don't pass the voting rights bill to honor Martin Luther King... Clyburn on ABC's This Week, Mansion and Cinema decided that voting rights of the Senate minority are more important than a minority's rights in this great country. Pelosi, 
We dishonor Martin Luther King to use the filibuster and block this bill. We dishonor him. Ralph Warnock, on The View today, Republicans anti-American trying to turn democracy on its head. Representative Nakima Williams can't let the 50 Republican senators off the hook. This is our civil rights moment. Ellie Mistel on MSNBC today. Mansion and cinema are the type of white people Martin Luther King warned us about. Tiffany Cross on MSNBC Saturday. Kirsten Cinema is, quote, upholding white supremacy, unquote. And these media outlets and these, these poisonous statements contribute mightily to the downfall of this great country. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, the Supreme Court ruled today, mostly right but partly wrong, in the vaccination mandate case, actually more than one case. Now, the employer mandate was a 63 vote. All the leftists of court dissented. Uh, They have no problem with the plenary power of the centralized bureaucracy, but the rest of us do. Uh, Six to three, Roberts, the Chief Justice, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Barrett, and the others voted the right way. But then there was the vote in the health care case. In other words, they said OSHA does not have the authority to be issuing mandates, and that the uh, executive branch can't do that through an administrative agency. I mean, these are far-reaching mandates. And OSHA didn't have the statutory authority to do it. And the administration could have gone to Congress to see if they could get support from Congress. If they can't, they can. If they can, they can. But in the health care case, the vote was 5 to 4. 5 to 4, with Chief Justice Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh voting with the leftists. Basically saying, if you're an institution that receives Medicare or Medicaid, and there is that federal connection, therefore, uh, you can be forced to be vaccinated as a mandate. I reject this completely. Absolutely and utterly. And obviously, Kavanaugh and Roberts felt they needed to cut the baby in half, and that's what they did. That's what they did. So 84 million workers are no longer covered by this illegal mandate. Unfortunately, those of you who are in the healthcare field 
working at hospitals and so forth, you're still smothered by this unconstitutional mandate. But it does see Biden loses more than he wins when he goes to federal court on a whole host of matters, whether it's immigration or mandates and so forth, because they're so extreme, that is, this administration, they they operate so far outside the box uh, that other than these Obama and Biden appointees on these district courts and these circuit courts, uh, rational individuals who've been uh, made judges, Uh, understand that this really cannot stand. And so we will take a little bit more time discussing this in hour two with Senator Mike Lee, who's really led the charge on the legislative side against these mandates, and we'll discuss this case with him in the next hour. Now, there's a lot more to discuss. Uh, We have this series of indictments now brought by the Department of Justice, charges against the Oath Keepers including the individual who heads the Oath Keepers and founded the Oath Keepers. Um, DOJ charges Oath Keepers with seditious conspiracy. As our friend Mark Tapscott writes over at Instapundit.com, interestingly, the Department of Justice announcement describes the charges with reference to the statute's inclusion of efforts to oppose or delay execution of a law. Not its reference, quote, to conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States, or to levy war against them. I'm just pointing out, and he's pointing out, the part of the statute they're using, again, is the statute's inclusion of efforts to oppose or delay the execution of the law. Not to conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States, or levy war against them. So it's still not an insurrection, just so you understand. Mark, you're so technical. No, I'm telling you the truth. But as Tapscott points out, but watch, the mainstream media and Schumer-Pelosi crowd will frame it rhetorically as if the defendants are being charged with conspiracy to overthrow the government. Nobody's been charged yet with the conspiracy to overthrow the government. If there was such a charge, uh, the entire Democrat Party would have a problem. We'd have to put a crime tape around the uh, Congress and the DNC, not to mention the media. So I wanted to point that out as well. We've always said here that uh, if you commit acts of violence, you have to pay a price for it. CNN reported the Justice Department escalated its January 6th investigation by bringing seditious conspiracy charges against 11 defendants including the leader of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes. Remember, they're just charged, too, by the way. The latest accusations with a charge that had not previously been brought in the department's U.S. Capitol attack prosecutions remove any sense that prosecutors believe the riot emerged from just a group of overzealous protesters with new details about the planning and logistics alleged to have predated the Capitol breach. Now, just wait a minute. There are these groups... And I don't believe anybody's denied that there are these groups that conduct themselves this way. But to make the leap about that these were overzealous protesters, the vast majority of people, the overwhelming majority of people, were protesters, some of whom were overzealous. They were not all members of the Oath Keepers. But CNN just can't report the news flat out. 
Hannah Rabinowitz, Caitlin Palance, Tierney Sneed, and Holmes Lebrand. One, two, it took four of them to read the, uh, the indictment sheet. The Department of Justice until now have been careful not to push the idea of sedition, instead charging defendants affiliated with right-wing groups with conspiracy to obstruct the congressional proceeding on January 6th. The seditious conspiracy charge carries the same possible consequence as an obstruction charge, but is rarely used, politically loaded, and has been difficult for DOJ to use successfully against defendants in the past. Well, they're going to get to use them again. This time, though, they have a... Uh, a bunch of judges who are very, very sympathetic to the Department of Justice position. The new indictment brings to light planning. The Oath Keepers are accused to have done ahead of the Capitol attack, as they alleged recruited members, stocked up on weapons, and organized to disrupt Congress's certification of the 2020 election. Prosecutors say they also continue to plot to oppose by force and lawful transfer of presidential power after the Capitol riot failed to block the Electoral College vote. And again, this is what the Department of Justice is charging. And again, I want to point out to you, they are not charging them to conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States or to levy war against them. And yet we still don't know what Nancy Pelosi did to secure that building. We still don't know. Now, the timing of this is very interesting to me. It's been over a year, right? Now we have this Stalinist committee led by Benny Hill Thompson and Liz Unhinged Cheney. And they're busy leaking texts out about Sean Hannity and other people. I guess just to try and smear them or embarrass them, but they haven't done either, considering what's in the texts. You have Adam Schiff, who's back to his old tricks, who is changing quote-unquote evidence and pushing it out there, he should be losing, of course, his uh, law license. But all that said, isn't the timing weird to you? It's weird to me. Why does it take so long to bring these charges, these particular charges, against the Oath Keepers? Why is that taking so long? goes on, one Oath Keeper claimed to travel to Washington for a scouting trip ahead of January 6th, according to the indictment. The new court filings also detail accusations that defendants stashed weapons at a Virginia hotel and that they were prepared to rapidly transport firearms and other weapons to Washington to support efforts to stop roads. I, I, I don't know uh, to stop the count. I don't understand something. But actually, that never was executed, was it, Mr. Medusa? There wasn't a stash of weapons brought into the Capitol building and used. There wasn't. Then uh, Rhodes, the head of the Oath Keepers, complains about Trump. He writes, All I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. So the patriots are taking it into their own hands. They've had enough. He allegedly said on signal at 1.38 p.m. that day, shortly after the siege had begun. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, what's interesting about that? That clearly demonstrates Donald Trump has no role. We already knew it, but there's just overwhelming evidence. 
no role in what this group or anybody else did on the Capitol building. None. Let me quote you again. This is in the indictment. All I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. So the patriots are taking it into their own hands. They've had enough. He allegedly said on signal at 1.38 p.m. that day, shortly after the siege had begun, writes CNN. So Trump's not in touch with these people. He has no idea what they're doing. They're frustrated with Trump because he's taken no action. Shouldn't this be the headline? Shouldn't this be the headline? Of course. Of course. They were planning to use force, perhaps weapons, but apparently they didn't use weapons, did they? But isn't this the point? While the Oath Keepers may applaud it, and this has to be proven, okay? They were indicted by a grand jury. They haven't had their day in court. But whatever the outcome, here's the point. All I see, quote, Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. Case closed. No, 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 no. We have to have texts from Sean Hannity. No, no, no. We have to have texts from people who weren't even there or weren't even on the staff. Like Sebastian Gorka, we have to have his. But what did he have to do then? Nothing, but we want to look. And I can go down a whole list. This is why this committee has more information that's actually helpful, supportive of Donald Trump that it's making known to you and me. And so does the Department of Justice. And so does the Department of Justice. This is why they settle on language on this committee, this Stalinist committee on dereliction of duty because he didn't do enough. And yet it's Nancy Pelosi who was derelict because she was in charge. And she didn't do a damn thing. She even turned down the National Guard. So read these things for yourself, folks, as I do. Read them for yourself. This doesn't condemn Donald Trump. This doesn't condemn the hundreds of thousands of people who were on Capitol Hill that day. This condemns 11 people. And they're frustrated because Trump's not taking any action. Trump's not taking... Pay attention to me, media, you clowns, you morons. Pay attention. Quote, all I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. Unquote, writes the head of the Oath Keepers when the Capitol's under attack. And when Donald Trump told people to peacefully assemble, subsequent to him offering the National Guard to protect the building, what kind of dereliction of duty is this? I'll be right back. Mark. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. One of the things that we've always prided ourselves on as Americans, and they like to talk about one administration flowing to the next. They like to talk about January 6th now as the insurrection that stopped it all is what the Democrat Party is doing 
to the nation as a whole, whether it's our economy, whether it's our border, our prison system, law enforcement, crime, classrooms, race. It's a destructive force. But when it comes to transitioning from one president to another, they can point to Donald Trump all they want. They can point to January 6th all they want. But it's 2016 you need to look at. 2016. That was when, in full view of the entire world, the Democrat Party went to war with our electoral system. Now, they've gone to war with it before, but this is the modern incarnation of it. It was 2016. They spawned a criminal investigation, multiple efforts at impeachment, coup efforts, the Democrat Party in Congress, working with the Democrat Party in the executive branch, working with career individuals, Democrats, who resisted the transition. Trump was called an illegitimate president. He was called Putin's president. He was called many things. And they questioned that election. Last time I checked, 2016 came before 2020. They didn't go to federal courts during the course of the election or after to challenge Trump's presidency. Oh, yeah, the emoluments clause and other things to try and destroy Trump. But I'm talking about challenging systems or votes like others did in 2020, a legitimate path. No, they decided they controlled the House of Representatives. They were going to use the impeachment clause the way no House of Representatives has ever used it before. With one party rule. And Nancy Pelosi would put in place the most diabolical, sinister, and evil members in her caucus she possibly could to lead the fight. And they knew they could work with the media. And they did. They worked with the New York Times and the Washington Post. They worked with CNN and MSNBC. They worked with CBS, ABC, and NBC. They worked with Reuters and Associated Press and all the rest of them. A complete cabal to undo an election. Department of Justice would investigate that because the Department of Justice was in on it. You know, you see Merrick Garland today going, the most concentration of resources ever in the history of the FBI, preposterous. There was no great investigation of the people who caused this entire upset of the nation for years. There's a special counsel. But the Department of Justice generally, the Criminal Division generally, U.S. Attorney's offices, the FBI, no, they were in on it. They were in on it. Donald Trump's tax returns were leaked to the New York Times. Democrat elected operatives and politicians in Manhattan in the state of Albany going after Trump's businesses, investigating him and his family endlessly. 
And of course now this January 6th Soviet-style committee. Which has absolutely no interest in getting to the bottom of anything. Period. Nothing. That's not what they're about. I said the other day, and I'll say it again, they're throwing a wide net because they're going after Trump and his associates of any kind and any sort. Because they want emails, they want texts, they want this sort of information they cannot otherwise get, they should not get now. But they continue to reveal themselves as an unconstitutional rogue operation. In the Hill, Alexander Bolton, Senate Democrats believe there's a good chance the Department of Justice will prosecute former President Trump for trying to overturn the results of the 2020 election and inciting the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol, which would have major political reverberations ahead of the 2024 presidential election. Now, that is a loaded run-on sentence, as if written by a Democrat operative. Democratic lawmakers say they don't have any inside information on what might happen and describe Garland as someone who would make sure to run any investigation strictly by the book. Oh, okay. We know that's a joke. But they also say the fact that Garland has provided little indication about whether the Department of Justice has its prosecutorial sights on Trump doesn't necessarily mean the former president isn't likely to be charged. This would result in a revulsion, a convulsion of the body politic of the conservative Republican base like nothing you've ever seen. I'm not talking about violence, I'm just saying it would be an absolute revulsion. Because something like this has never happened before. And everybody knows it's illegitimate. Given the weight of public evidence, Democrat lawmakers think Trump committed federal crimes. You see what a bunch of totalitarians these are, folks? But Senate Democrats also warn Garland needs to proceed cautiously. Any prosecution that fails to convict Trump risks becoming a disaster. Could vindicate Trump. So it's all about a political prosecution. Take him off the playing field, but if you're going to get him, make sure you get him. Otherwise, we might lose. Richard Blumenthal, now that guy's a sleazeball extraordinaire, said clearly that Trump did in the days leading up and day of the January 6th attack on Congress, quote, falls in the ambit of what's being investigated and perhaps is criminal. Tim Kaine said it's up to the prosecutors at the Justice Department whether to charge Trump, though he believes the former president's actions on and before January 6th likely violated federal law. No, they didn't. He's supposed to be a moderate, but he's a whack job. They have all the evidence at their disposal, he said. Now, how would he know that? A lot going on behind the scenes that you and I do not know. Kane believes federal prosecutors are looking seriously at charges against Trump, although he doesn't have any inside information. My intuition is that they're looking carefully at whether Trump broke the law. My sense is they're looking at everything in a diligent way, and they haven't made a decision. What is he talking about? Does he know something? I believe there are federal statutes that are very much implicated by Trump's effort to overturn Biden's victory in the 2020 election. It is really grotesque to hear people who sought to overturn the 2016 election. Every breathing moment of that administration are now making these allegations, these insinuations. Sherrod Brown. Real commie. 
said, I think anybody who, it's proven, had a role in the planning of the January 6th attack should be prosecuted, not just the people who broke in and smashed the window in my office and others. I think anybody that, by the way, did he say that about Antifa and Black Lives Matter? Of course not, he's a clown. I think anybody that's shown to have had a role in its planning absolutely should be prosecuted. I mean, it was treason. It was tra- Okay, so you get these, these low lights, these hacks. Now you know how brilliant the framers were to make sure that the Congress was not involved in prosecuting people. But that's the whole purpose of the January 6th committee. It's not to protect Congress in the future because Pelosi failed to do it and they don't want to talk to her. And then there's this. January 6th panel floats 14th Amendment as a way to bar Trump from holding off. Now this is really ridiculous, but we'll go on here. Washington Examiner, neither of Donald Trump's impeachment trials led to his conviction, which would have prevented him from returning to the White House. Representative Jamie Raskin, remember I told you about his father, who was a Red, who defended the Soviet Union, North Korea, Cuba, Communist China, Institute for Policy Studies. But Raskin has another idea on how to bar the former president. Raskin suggested the constitutional provision preventing those who, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion, unquote, from holding office may prevent Trump from becoming president for a second non-consecutive term. This guy was apparently a constitutional professor at some college in Washington. Should have been an anti-constitutional professor. Let me help the... The Red from Montgomery County, Maryland, Mr. Constitutional Professor, engaged in insurrection or rebellion. He didn't engage in an insurrection or rebellion under the law or under the Constitution. So what the hell are you talking about, you idiot? Maryland Democrats said the prohibition on holding office again could also apply to some current Republican members of Congress. So you see, Mr. Raskin is a man of the French Revolution off with their heads. And he would know a lot about the French Revolution, the Communist Revolution, given he learned at the feet of his father, who was an old-time Red. An old-time Red. He's been on these impeachment committees, he's now on this January 6th committee, so they take this guy, who in my view has very little allegiance to this country, in my opinion, and put them on these committees. Why? Because that's what Nancy Pelosi's about. 